This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. Welcome to the Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast. This is episode number 260. And for this episode of the podcast, my God, we had an amazing day today here in the Yakima Valley. Uh, I'm sitting at Single Hill Brewing with Zach Turner. Welcome to the podcast, Zach. Uh, thanks, Jamie. And we'll, have, we'll tell you more about the story later, but uh, we brewed a fresh hop beer. In fact, I, Tristan may still be finishing up that brew right now. <laughs> it's possible. I think he's got his sandals on at this point. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, it's, it was a pretty pretty fun day making fresh hop beer the single hop way, uh, using some pretty killer hops pulled, in some cases, straight off the bind and picked today while we were at it. Um, pelletizing hops for the dry hop and the whirlpool right here on your own pelletizer and doing it uh, in a way that most people don't ever do fresh hop beers. I mean, it was, it's, it, it's six o'clock now. We've been at it since eight something this morning. Uh, and now we're finally recording a podcast about it. We are going to tell you all about how Zach uh, and Single Hill brew fresh hop beers on this episode. But first, what if you could chill your beer with a more efficient chiller? The answer, GD Chiller's new micro-channel condensers. GD's micro-channel condensers are highly efficient in hotter regions, use a fraction of the refrigerant over traditional chillers, which provides less opportunity for leaks, along with lower global warming potential. GD Chiller's engineers are committed to green technology design, while developing a more energy-efficient chiller for the brewing industry. Contact g and Chillers today at gdchillers.com. Also, what if you could take your favorite recipes and make a non-alcoholic version without sacrificing the flavor, color, or beer quality? And a no problem, the Alchemator from ProBrew uses proprietary membrane technology to strip the alcohol from beer without sacrificing all of the elements like flavor and color that make beer great. Are you ready to brew like a pro? Check out www.probrew.com to learn more about the Alchemator from ProBrew or shoot them an email at contactus@probrew.com today. ProBrew is a subsidiary of Technoblend, now a Promoc brand. Before we get started, also would love to thank the uh, folks from Yakima Valley Tourism for helping make this visit possible. Of course, if you want to plan your own trip to the Yakima Valley, start at visityakima.com. This is it is a beautiful time of the year here in Yakima. I love being here. I haven't been here since 2017. Obviously a pandemic happened in the midst of that. I've been trying to get back ever since that first visit. Um, but it is just an amazing, stunning, beautiful time. The weather is, couldn't be any better high in the high seventies feel, you know, there's still hops on the vine out here, even in September. And it's a beautiful time to be here in Yakima as uh, the energy of hop harvest is in full swing. Um, if you can't be here at hop harvest time, of course, the Fresh Hop Festival in October is unparalleled. And of course, uh, Zach and Single Hill have won Best in Show last year at the Fresh Hop Festival, along, along with a gold at GABF in the Fresh Hop category. Just saying, just saying. Um, of course, if you come to Yakima, there are beautiful breweries and wineries like this one to visit year-round. Uh, definitely put it on your list. Uh, so let's talk about Single Hill. Zach. Sounds good. Yeah, yeah. You've got a, a long career now in brewing, and uh, you've been on both sides, uh, the brewing side and the hop side. Talk to me about your background and uh, the arc that you've taken to uh, get here at uh, in launching Single Hill, 
a uh, number of years ago and, uh, you know, making the beers that you hear in Yakima. Sure. <clears throat> yeah. So Single Hill has been around since 2018. Uh, we opened in June 2018. So this is our fifth harvest. Fifth harvest. Um, it's kind of the way to mark time in Yakima. Like how many right, times have right. you seen hops being picked? Um, I've been here for 10 harvests. So this is my 10th um, anniversary of hop harvest, which just feels good to me. Um, Single Hill... Where'd you get started? What was the first brewing? What was the first brewing gig? And uh, <laughs> where, where, what made you decide, like, hey, I want to pursue a career in this world of uh, craft beer and brewing? So I've been making beer since I was about nineteen, um, as a college student, making a lot of homebrew in Portland, Oregon. Um, from there, I made a lot of beer in college, uh, up to like a barrel and a half system in my garage. <clears throat> we distributed a lot of it to the student body, and we had. Yeah, it was a pretty big operation. It was pretty fun. So, <laughs> sounds a little bit bootleg if you were nineteen making uh, craft, making homebrew for the students at uh, college. Yeah, it was uh, subsidized by the student body, and um, and yeah, we never charged for it. It was oh. it was all it was basically a, a service, like a gift, right? So we would produce it as the Brewers Guild, and then give it away. And nice. Um, so that's really what I learned to brew. Um, it's like not commercial, obviously, but it was. Right. Uh, there was a lot of beer being made. Yeah, um, I was studying biology at the time and was pretty convinced that I didn't want to be a brewer because it was a fun hobby and didn't want to like turn that into sure, work. Sure. Right. So still pursuing um, science, probably some sort of academic career um, at that point in time. But in the end, I ended up moving to Colorado and bringing a ton of homebrew with me. Link was telling you that the other night, packaged up about 30 gallons of beer in a truck and went to Colorado and kind of made a brand around it and made some friends in the process and landed myself a job at Odell in Fort Collins. Um, it's where I worked for four, uh, four years as their lab manager and quality manager. Yeah. Before um, just getting a little what bit. What a great place to cut your teeth professionally in the world of brewing. Absolutely. I mean, still super close with the crew there. And um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's the place I learned how to make beer and yeah. it's still brewing in that tradition, I would say. Um, brewing in the Odell tradition, in the Odell, tradition. the Odell school of brewing kind of, I mean, there's, yeah. there's a few of us at this point, right? Um, you all pint house. Yeah. Yep. Um, so yeah, still super close with that group. Learned a lot there, had a blast, like had an amazing job. Um, it was just sort of a, a I'm from Washington and sure. I enjoyed living in Colorado a lot, but I was 20, it was 27 at that time and kind of had like, I don't know, in some, uh, some regard, like a dream job, like it was pretty much perfect. Sure. No sure. real reason to re leave that. But anyway, wound that down in order to do some traveling and, um, yeah. have an opportunity to try some other things. So along that, along that path. I took a few months off and ended up in Yakima for Hop Harvest in 2012. And um, through connections, I made at Odell to people like Jason Peralt. Um, ended up spending some time with Jason's breeding program. Ended up spending some time just camping in Yakima, learning sure, about hops, sure. all that kind of thing. So uh, then just left and didn't really think anything else of it except of having a bunch of nice pictures. But kind of got recruited here after that to work at Hop Union. Um, prior to Hop Union merging with Yakima Chief. So that would be twenty the beginning of twenty thirteen, and then um, joined them as their director of quality and sustainability, and that's basically what I did at mm. Hop Union and then at Yakima Chief uh, for the next five years. So kind of wound that down in twenty seventeen, just prior to starting Single Hill. 
So you've got some amazing trains here, by the way. Like a normal train, yeah, just sorry, like, man. just just blows blares a horn <laughs> and then it keeps moving on. Like uh, I love your I love your trains here. Anyway. Should we do it again? No, uh, no. Let's let's just keep it rolling. So 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 you start working, uh, you know, on the hop side here. Depending on what you know, everybody else knows about Odell. Like they have amazing relationships with the valley sure, and sure. with hop uh, suppliers, with hop growers. So. I kind of picked up on some of that and benefited from those connections when I got here and, and ended up working in the industry. Um, at Yakima Chief, I, I worked on a lot of technical projects. Um, and the final role there was doing um, starting their technical solutions group, I guess. Yeah. Um, something that we kind of pushed for for a number of years there, but they were ready to do it right as I had signed a lease. So that's how <laughs> that went done. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but in any case, yeah, a lot of projects there, um, a lot of farm quality things, food safety on farms, uh, a lot of analysis, a lot of, and we didn't talk about this yet, but like a lot of um, like managing the quality information. So every attribute that we would measure about hops as they came in, we would like analyze the heck out of it and then return the data set to farms and kind of rank them and compare their the quality of their hops to their neighbor's hops and sort of like. This is still done to this day from YCH and maybe some of the other companies now, uh, just as a way to communicate, like, what do we get at the supplier side um, in terms of hop quality? And then what do brewers, uh, what do, how do brewers evaluate and kind of rate those hops as well? So we would take data out of selection and return it to hop growers as well. Um, you were involved in the, uh, the start of the cryo program. Yeah, also started the cryo program. Uh, myself and Blaze Rude and Carl Van Evenhoven kind of made the first um, test batches of that at a third party, uh, proving out the process and then figuring out and sourcing the equipment, designing those first lines um, up through the, the powder time. I was kind of stepping out by the time we started pelleting it. But yeah, it was the product manager for cryo as it got off the ground. We figured out how to use it, doing test batches with it um, and getting in the hands of brewers. So what made you decide to flip back onto the brewing side? I guess <clears throat> it had always been the plan, um, but a plan that may have never come together because sometimes you just think, maybe I'll make a brewery someday. Um, but really, I had gotten married recently, and it was kind of a, if it's going to happen, like it should probably happen now versus just continuing to uh, work in the hop industry. Um, right. And Yakima is a pretty nice spot to start a brewery. You know, it's a, it's kind of an underdeveloped community. It, it has a, it's had a kind of a rough life downtown over the last 20 years. It sure. hasn't seen intense gentrification yet. Um, like the other places I've lived, like Fort Collins. So there's a lot of opportunity here. And what we ended up doing is creating a community space right downtown um, that can be kind of the center Center for the hop industry is a, kind of a goal, uh, sure. a crossroads for people who work in the industry like year round. And then when brewers come to town as well, a place to kind of drop in and check in with people and try some beers. Um, well, let's change yeah. gears and talk about, uh, you, you know, one of the focuses and one of the reasons that we're here, which is fresh hop beers. But before we do that, is your brewery struggling to source or afford berry ingredients? Historic heat waves devastated U.S. berry crops, causing supply to dwindle and prices to skyrocket. That's why brewers are switching over to Old Orchard's craft concentrate blends, which mimic straight concentrates, but at a better price point and with more reliable supply. Is it any surprise that Old Orchard's best sellers are raspberry and blackberry flavors? Reclaim your margins and order your craft concentrates at oldorchard.com slash brewer. Also working on a new sour beer, Fermentus is the obvious choice for beverage fermentation. 
They're now offering an expanded range of dry bacteria for the production of sour beers. To learn more about how Fermentis can improve the quality of your fermentation and for the latest on their exciting new product releases, visit Fermentis.com. So we should probably talk about what we did today. You know, mm-hmm. um, the, this podcast and this visit started a year ago because uh, you came up to Fort Collins got to get away from for, uh, from the harvest. Uh, you know, we'd been talking, you came out, we had a beer on the patio of the office and, uh, and started, I mean, that was kind of the, the, yeah, it was the introduction. That was where it all started. Yep. And, uh, you know, and so as this trip came together, uh, it planted the seeds. Of course, we've written about, and Stan, uh, Hieronymus has written about in the brewing industry guide, your approach to making fresh hop beers, obviously, um, ha- buying your own pelletizing machine and being able to pelletize your own kiln hops here to dry hop with current like brand new crop year hops is something that's just weird and unique and kind of fun uh you know and to, to be able to make fresh hop beers like we did today that uh, both include wet hops truly wet hops mm-hmm. uh, you know in the whirlpool and hot side and current crop year dried kiln hops but still whole cone that mm-hmm. we've then pelletized ourselves out here on your pelletizing machine to make fresh hop of beers that way. Uh, it's kind of cool and weird. People, Other people don't make their fresh yeah, hop beers not, that way. It's not very feasible in most places. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and let me just let me, we'll tell the story. So, you know, yeah. we started off this morning, went over to, to Peralt Farms, um, and we grabbed 586 over there. And, of course, Jason gave us a f- fantastic tour, and uh, we walked through the experimental hop hills, and, uh, you know, it was uh, – beautiful experience but we're able to get some uh some fresh 586 uh that had been kilned mm-hmm. but uh was still whole cone yeah picked yesterday picked yesterday kilned overnight kilned overnight um we filled up some bags and brought those over here and then we popped over to uh to haas yep to the yakima golding farm the yakima golding farm met up with michael ferguson over there uh, you know, for podcast listeners, we will talk to both of them in a future episode of the podcast. Just you wait. Um, that's going to be a fantastic conversation as well. Um, grabbed uh, from there, we popped out to the the very last of the 1019, uh, HPC 1019, you know, experimental plot. Um, there were like, you know, maybe 20 binds left right there yep. that they hadn't harvested yet. They Basically were just let saved them, saved them to see how they would mature and how the aroma would taste, how the aroma would be 10 days after the main pick. Basically. Right. Right. And it was still great. Drove a pickup truck down the center of those macheted the bottoms, pulled them down on the top, loaded up the, the pickup trucks, drove them over and they've got a special, uh, picker. That, that cleans just these experimental hops yep. to make sure that they can, uh, you know, do these in small batches, pulled those out, you know, perfectly wet hops and drove them all back here to single Hill, threw them in and, uh, you know, have been brewing a beer. And in fact, uh, yeah, it's all ongoing over there right now. Yeah. So that's what we were doing today. And, uh, Zach, you know, if you, if you follow the grams, uh, and the socials, I think there's some pictures out there on yours and ours now of, uh, of some of the action that, that happened of us pelletizing. Um, you know, but let's talk about your approach to fresh hop beer then. Um, you make a lot of fresh hop beer. There are currently six different fresh hop beers 
on the tap list right now. You operate what you call the fresh fresh hop rodeo. You, know, you, mm-hmm. you make a whole bunch of beers with other people, with other brewers who come into town to also collaborate. You you incorporate a lot of uh, different farms and different hops into this uh, this program. Um, talk to me about the framework, you know, in general about your your approach to fresh hop beers. Sure. So we we do make a fair bit of fresh hop beers, and we we decided in 20, 2019 probably that um, we wouldn't just dabble. Like uh, if we're gonna be in Yakima and we have uh, this a- incredible access and like really pretty solid relationships, great connections with amazing farms, that we should take full advantage of that, and then. Uh, beyond just taking advantage of it, like share it like as widely and as deeply as we can. Um, so that's really kind of the main, that's the main thing we try to do with Fresh Hops more than anything else is share the experience like we did today. Like, yeah, I don't know. We did spend a lot of time out there. It really took over your entire day. We met at <laughs> 830. We eventually got in a van and then we just we were driving around and we've got some lunch in there. People were almost starved. But like, uh yeah, we spend a lot of we time. Also, shout out to Zeke's Pizza and Tommy, uh, you know, yes. their beer buyer, because uh, they're a big part of this. We're brewing Fresh Hop Lateral A, which is, uh, uh, you know, a beer that you make for them and with them. Yeah, uh, one of our core beers that features HBC 586 and Talus. Um, that we've been brewing with Zeke's for the last few years, and Haas has been supporting us big time, and Peralt Farms with that HBC 586. So, but anyway, coming back to the. Uh, Fresh hops are big thing. I love making fresh hops. They're really, they're very fun. And they're also, I think, the best kind of brew for a collaboration. So, I mean, even before we get to talk about like process and how you make a fresh hop, like so much of why we make fresh hops is because of the relationships. Um, and, you know, by, by taking, by deciding to focus on just using current crop year for every part of the process, um, that also, besides being interesting and making tasty beer, it means we get to go to even more farms throughout the year and like check in with other farms that if we were just using wet hops one time in one place in the brew, we just wouldn't have as many opportunities as we do um, the way we do it this way. So in 19, we started using, actually in 18, we started using fresh dried cones. So kiln hops, uh, dried overnight on the cooling floor. Um, it's kind of, if, if, I don't know if we want to talk about process at the hop farm, but sure. hop cones are picked in the field. They're, the whole bind is taken back to a picker. The cones are taken off the bind. Those cones, the green cones are then sent to a kiln. They're in the kiln for maybe eight, eight-ish hours. It's variety dependent where they dry them down to about 10% moisture. And then from that point, they're moved to a cooling or a conditioning room. And in that space, uh, they'll sit for usually about 24 hours while the moisture yeah, equilibrates and the hops just become conditioned so that there's a really, really even amount of moisture in every cone. Moisture moves from the strig out to the brack, it just balances out before it's baled. So what we what we started doing in like right at the beginning was getting hops from those conditioning piles. So I don't know if you if you do have a chance to look at pictures of this on the Instagram or somewhere else on the internet or come to Yakima, these are just huge mounds of hops. You know, they could be twenty feet tall. They're not always that big, but they're big mountains of green cones and it smells amazing. It's a beautiful sight. Right. So we we will collect hops from those piles while we're out on a trip getting wet hops. So like usually we have a plan regarding wet hops. We're gonna go to a particular farm because they're picking a particular hop or because we want to work with that farm on that day or for that brew. Um, and then while we're there, we'll get these dried cones. So in 18, we started doing that, but we, in order to get dried cones into a, 
like dried whole cone into a tank. Um, we don't typically do bags and we don't have a bright tank. We do everything in a tank. So we got a grinder and we shredded them up and then hmm. we would shove them in the top, like open a manway and dump trash cans full of powder in there. And Like Odell rupture style. Um, yeah. So Odell's the, like the only other place that I can think of that has a pellet mill. Um, strangely, it's where I worked, right? I know, um, right? Go figure. <laughs> they didn't have one at, when I was no, there, but no. anyway, like I said, we're close. Um, so yeah, uh, overall process. So 18, we started grinding powder. It works really well. It's just really kind of difficult to incorporate into a beer. Um, and then in 19, we did more of that. And in 20, we decided we're only going to use 2020 hops for all the brews. So like that first beer of that year, we went out to, we also went out to the Haas farm. They had a small pellet mill there for their experimentals. And we brought sacks of dried cones and they helped us pelletize them. Sort of like proof of concept, like, okay, this is very doable. And then we, then I found a mill and I bought it and we ordered it. And by the second half of harvest, we had our own pellet mill here. And we've been using that ever since for all the dried cones that we put into the beer. Anywhere you would put a normal pellet, we just make our own pellets, basically. Sure, sure. And the, you know, yeah. the pellet just works better in your normal brewing process because it sinks into liquid. And, <laughs> yeah, as know, opposed to powder, we squished all the air sits, out of it. Yeah. It's still, it's less dense. Um, it's less dense than a regular commercial T90 pellet. They typically are pretty fluffy. Um, we don't mill anything first, so the grinding happens on the dye itself, and then it's extruded through the dye into a pellet. So you end up with a coarser grind most of the time. Um, so you have this general framework of making a bunch of fresh hot beers, doing this with a bunch of different farms, doing this with a bunch of different brewer friends to keep it active and to keep it, uh, you know, diverse. Uh, obviously, you know, you make, you have fresh hop hazy beers on your tap list right now. You've got fresh hop cold IPA from Wayfinder that I just drank. You've got, you know, you're brewing fresh hop beers across all of these mm -hmm. things. One thing, and I have now had all six of the beers that are currently on your fresh hop tap list because I'm a fanatic like that. Um, one thing that I find as I'm drinking them is that, you know, compared to what my normal association with fresh hop is, which is more vegetal material, more green flavor, um, also maybe beers that are built with uh, a little more, you know, caramel in them in order to build some heft and help offset some of those, uh, you know, other potential negative vegetal flavors. Yours are clean and bright. <clears throat> they are very straightforward. Um, they are, they taste like gentle softer versions of some of the normal you know ipas that you might make with this this character to it let's just talk about how you start formulating the idea for some of these fresh hop beers uh how you think about building mm -hmm. recipes around them Perfect. um and, you know and then and what that creative process looks like because and obviously there's different ways that you do it because you're brewing these in different kinds of styles but where do you start, you know, as you're thinking about building some of these different fresh hop recipes? Yeah. Um, so saying we've kind of set up a couple of rules for ourselves, these constraints that we're going to use the current crop year for every step of the process. And we're, we have this tool where we can pelletize and we have access to lots of different varieties. So every, every beer can be built from many different varieties, often from many different farms. Um, one of the reasons why we opt to pelletize dried cones 
just from like a, a philosophy on fresh hop beers is for the most part we don't I don't like the the flavor as much of wet cones that have been infused into cold side. Um, often it's pretty vegetal. It can be kind of an iced tea character. Uh, it can be done well for sure. And part of it is it just doesn't fit our tanks and our, our brewing process as well because we don't use bright tanks on a regular basis. Um, so a lot of our approach to brewing fresh hops is really to limit that veggie character because when I drink a fresh hop that I don't enjoy very much, it's usually because it has a vegetal character to it. It's sort of a like bitter lettuce or um, like like bolting lettuce or like a bitter cucumber skin, you know, if you've ever had one of those things yeah. out of your home garden and it's just picked at the wrong time. Um, so we've kind of oriented all the steps we put we do in the process to minimize that and then maximize the extraction of like nice fresh lupulin from these different varieties. So in terms of formulating a beer, um, I can talk about how we minimize those veggies in a second, but uh, but I just, I'll just walk through the process, sure, like start sure. to end of how we actually go through a brew day on it. But malt wise, we also keep it extremely light. Typically, um, two of the collaborations we did this year were with a bunch of Portland breweries and everybody wanted to make West coast IPA and they wanted it to be about 15%, 20%, like Vienna or maybe even a little bit darker. Um, and that's, that's like a little bit, almost that's almost heavy handed for us in, in, for malt in a fresh hop beer. Um, we're pretty close to just Pilsner malt, maybe some wheat. Uh, if it's a hazy base, then it's, it's Pilsner wheat oats, but like no caramel ever. <laughs> um, <you laughs> sure, know, like sure. maybe you're making modern IPAs here, right? Super Who modern. Even, yeah. yeah. Uh, maybe some Munich, but even in fresh shops, we tend to not even put Munich in. Um, we, we keep the malt bill as light as possible and really try to keep it, keep it out of the way. We're, we're trying to showcase hops and we're not brewing Pilsners. We're brewing IPA. Um, so it does have to have some body and some sweetness to it, but, um, your normal silo fill is a great Western, but you also brew yep. with everything from like raw North Star pills. I know you have, you've got some of yeah. that back there now. Yeah. So as I was saying, we, we try to involve a lot of people in these. So every brew we're doing this year, we have nine on the schedule. They're all collaborations with a different group. So, um, today was Zeke's pizza. Um, but we've had a bunch of other groups and we can talk about the rodeo maybe later and how, sure. how that works because that brings in even more people. Um, but with, with every collaboration, like, those are an opportunity to try even more, more different things. You know, yeah. that group might want to put in darker malt. Okay, we'll like work with it. We'll we'll figure out how to make a tasty beer if that's like the direction people want to go with it. Um, so really light malt bases to start, and then um, our like definition of a fresh hop really is that the, the the beer needs to be brewed with a pretty significant amount of wet hops. So there's wet there's wet fresh basically wet cones, right. and there's dried or kiln cones. So in our case. We use, we use both in every brew, um, usually 15 to 30 pounds per barrel of wet hops. And we use those in the, in, we convert the mash tun to a hop back and we use it after the boil is over. And then, yeah, so let's just talk about that. So when we use wet hops, we put them into the mash tun. There's 15 to 30 pounds per barrel. So we're a 15 barrel brewery and that typically runs for us 200 to 400 pounds of wet hops put them in the mash tun, takes a lot of space. Uh, and then we we do that immediately after the boil is done. So it's, it's most common, and this is where a hopback would sit traditionally in a brewery, that after Whirlpool is over, you would run through your hopback and through your hopback directly to your fermenter. 
um, via your heat exchanger and finish the beer that way. Uh, we do it immediately after the boil is over. And we transfer through a shell and tube heat exchanger that we would normally use during the whirlpool to temperate, like lower the temperature of the wort down to about 180, 190. So when it hits the hops, it's a little less hot. And then we get everything incorporated. We transfer about two thirds of our wort from the kettle to the mash tun, get everything hydrated, everything wet. We run our rakes the whole time, uh, not aggressively. We've actually removed half of the rakes from our mash tun. Otherwise it kind of jams up a little mm. too much or uh, they can bend too much or tear the hops up too much. And so we just run with less rakes all the time. Um, and our goal is to like <clears throat> pretty much minimize contact time. You know, we want to get everything wet and we want to, by the time the mash tun is then empty, have almost all those cones be uh, like broken open, but not torn so mm. much, like get the brack to fall off the strig. Um, which lets the lupulin just kind of float around in there. So we'll run over about two-thirds of the wort, kind of as fast as we can transfer it, um, get everything wet. It's about 170 in the mash tun. And then as soon as it's in there, we'll pretty much start moving it back to the kettle roughly as quickly as we can. It's about half the speed we would if we were whirlpooling. And the reason we transfer back to the whirlpool instead of sending it out through the heat exchanger to the fermenter is we can get it back there faster. Um, we can knock out, we can transfer it back to the kettle. I mean, really as quickly as we can. And as the flow rate drops, as the liquid level and the mash ton goes down, um, it doesn't affect like the, doesn't affect the beer the way it would if it was a knockout uh, where your, you know, your flow rate's always decreasing. So now your temperature changing and you're trying to manage things during your knockout. So we can just transfer it back there. And then as soon as it gets back into the kettle, we can run a, another, we can run a whirlpool on it. So that's when we will do a whirlpool and we can utilize dried cones if we want to at that point to add more layers to the beer. Um, we don't always do that. I'd say that happens less than 50% of the time that we do whirlpool hops. Because usually we're just getting all that from the from a really big <laughs> wet hop <laughs> infusion. Right, right. And then from there, like the brew just proceeds like normal. <clears throat> whirlpool happens, um, then we knock it out to the fermenter and um, it I mean, it's pretty much like any other beer for us at that point, except um, every hop that's going to go into that beer from that point on, we have to go find, you know, like, so step one is finding the wet hops right. on brew day. It's usually, usually two varieties, uh, I'd say most often. And then uh, to then to figure out the dry hops, which could be a fermenter hop, like a dip hop, uh, could be most of them, it's post-fermentation um, once we've reached terminal but so once the beer is done, then the next step in the process is, uh, is looking at, all right, what is now being picked? Um, sure. cause we've got another five day, six day window from brew date on to look at, okay, we just finished up Simcoe and like on brew date, we could only get Simcoe cause everybody's picking Simcoe or maybe some Cascade or Centennial that day. But as the beer is fermenting out, harvest continues. And so we'll have some other varieties available to us to like craft that, uh, dry hop with. So five days after the end of Simcoe, most people are going to be in Citra. So like chances are that beer that we brewed with wet Simcoe is going to be dry hopped with Citra or something else that's coming off like right. later on. Right. Um, it's not always the case. Like we might save some hops that were picked in that first week of harvest to use in the second week of harvest as a dry hop. Like either save them as whole cones or pelletize them and throw them in the freezer. But what this means is the, the character of the fresh hops that we make they really do change as the season progresses. You know, we're doing like about two per week on 
through up through today. Today is uh, September 16th and we're, we're pretty, pretty close to done. We have one more fresh hop to do. Um, so, so contact time, let's, let's step back on that. You know, it's, it's relatively quick, you know, how, yeah. as you're using the mash ton, as this hop back, you know, how, how much time would you estimate that, uh, you know, that two thirds of the wort actually spends time on the hops? Yeah, it's about 30 minutes Okay. by the time we, if it's a really big hop load, like if we're throwing 600 pounds in there, it just takes a little bit longer sure, to get sure. it all filled up and get it all. Yeah. Uh, get everything saturated and mixed up. Um, but yeah, it's about and, 30 and why minutes. that kind of, you know, quicker contact time versus anything longer or anything shorter for that matter. Yeah. Our feeling is that it, it minimizes that vegetal character. So lower temperature to extract less vegetal things and then lower, shorter contact time to also pull out less vegetal characters. Um, another thing we do pretty consistently is acidify the kettle before we transfer it over. Mm. Um, when you're infusing wet hops, you end up, you pick up a lot of things, like just stuff is being infused yeah. into your beer, yeah. all that water is going in. Um, and it tends to raise the pH of your wort pretty significantly. Right. So like inside the actual hop flower itself and inside the cone, because yeah. it's it's 75% moisture at that point instead of 10. Right. So all that water wants to kind of equilibrate with its environment. And uh, there are things that just come out. I don't, I mean, I don't know what they are. It's part of the character of the beer. It's sure. part of the flavor. Sure. But in order to get less of the chlorophyllic kind of green, like flavor out of it. Um, yeah, we're minimizing time, we're minimizing temperature. And then that stuff that is coming out of the bract, out of the leaf, uh, leafy material into the beer it raises the ph so we help bring the ph back down with some lactic acid often um, which helps um, it yeah it really reduces that veggie character as well just the ph adjustment yeah um, it's kind of we've done like bench top trials related to that and you can kind of titrate it out and it makes the beer more drinkable crispy. interesting yeah crispy crisp crisp sure. or i mean i don't know just more it goes down easier. It's, there's like you were saying. There's not much harshness in our our fresh hops. If they're harsh, they're harsh because of like suspended lupulin, like getting like a hop more of a hop burn than like a right. Uh, right. Is there a, a you know kind of a, a golden range for ABV for fresh hop beers where you know if you push too high, then uh, you start extracting or getting into weird weird places. Um, how low and how how high have you gone with these? Um, I don't think there's a golden range. We, we've done double IPAs in past years. We aren't planning any this year, primarily because we just don't want to. We we don't want to drink a double IPA during harvest. Like it's kind of a yeah personal preference there. Um, there's plenty of beer to drink. We don't really need to be doing double IPAs during during fresh hop time. Um, we we probably do. We probably split it between more like pale ale strength IPAs, so like the mid fives um, up to about seven percent is kind of where we we tend to limit it, and that's mostly for drinkability. You know, we're we're brewing these for for ourselves, and then we're brewing it for uh, brewers who are coming to town and people who are like really into beer who are going to like seek out fresh hop beers. And um, I think generally they're not they're not buying them for alcohol content. We can make a tasty. We can make a good beer without pushing it above there. Um, it's like the beer I'm drinking now. Moxie Milieu, it's 5.5% or so. Um, so in all intents and purposes, it would be a pale ale if it didn't have such an enormous amount of hops in it. It's definitely an IPA, but it, it drinks lighter uh, because of that alcohol content. Sure, sure. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about how you build blends, especially as you're talking about hops that could be experimental, that could be new and fresh. 
um, that don't necessarily have a lot of track record behind them, but you're still also trying to kind of construct, you know, tasteful, elegant, you know, drinkable beers out of these new things. Sometimes, you know, again, using them, you know, some is wet, some is dried, but also still fresh. And I mean, I guess that's a, let's talk a little bit more about that. But first with 20 years of innovation and experience, Brewmation specializes in electric steam and direct fire brew houses, complete cellar solutions and automated controls for the craft brewing industry from a half barrel to 30 barrel systems. Brewmation puts you in control to design a brewery that fits your needs and brewing style. Whether you're starting a new brewery, upgrading your cellar, or just need some parts to keep you up and running, Brumation has you covered. Visit them at brumation.com slash cbbpod to get started. Also, as Craft Beer's most trusted point of sale system, Arrived is the mobile all-in-one solution you need to decrease service friction and increase guest satisfaction. With a full suite of craft-specific features, no contracts and no monthly fees, Arrived provides the necessary tools to help your brewery grow. Plus, they're offering a special deal to our listeners. Get 25% off all hardware to redeem. You must launch with Arrived before December 1st, 2022. Go to Arrived.com slash CBB to set up a free customized demo. That's Arrived, A-R-R-Y-V-E-D.com forward slash CBB. Remember, there is no I in Arrived. So today we brewed with a combination of uh, of uh, 586 and 1019. Yep. Obviously 1019's, you know, still a pretty small production. It's it's not a hop that you know, you guys have brewed with it for, you know, more than one, you know, previous years more than also. One brew. Yeah. Right. You have some experience with it, but uh, you know, talk to me about formulating hop blends with some of these evolving and new and experimental hops. So it's so regarding hop choice for all these beers, uh I'm building elegant blends of some of these hops. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was kind of saying the since harvest is ongoing while we're making all these things, the options are constantly changing. And Tristan and I, uh, lead brewer here, is, is Tristan. We'll we'll all basically on Monday go text a bunch of farmers or email them or call them and just sort of inquire like, "Hey, what's Wednesday look like for you?" And the way. F- the way the the fresh hops kind of come together is there's three things we know about each fresh hop, um, and we can control two of them. We can control uh, we, out of those three, we can usually control two, and the rest, the other one, we have to leave fluid. So we can know the brew date, we can know the farm we're going to, and we can know the variety we're getting. Usually, it's that wet variety because the wet one is the one that's transient, right? We've got one opportunity; um, it doesn't last more than 24 hours. So, like that's the one we're focused on most is the wet hop. Um, so if we, for today, just to use it as an example, like we knew we were going, we knew we wanted 586. We needed it because lateral A is built around that hop. So we needed that. And then we knew that Tommy's, Tommy from Zeke's was going to come yesterday on Thursday to brew lateral A. And we brewed over two days this time for some problem solving. So we knew we needed to make the beer on Thursday. We knew we needed to find 586 and then we needed to find a farm that was going to pick it on that date. 586 is only picked on one day by each of the farms that grows it because it's pretty limited in acreage. And right. I'm only aware of three farms that grow it at the moment. So one of those farms picked it 10 days ago and we schedule didn't work that day. So we just, we missed that. That's usually where we go. We go to Haas. Um, and then we've, it looked like 
you know, over the last two years, and we, I keep records of this, um, 586 was picked by Loftus and Peralt approximately yesterday and today. <laughs> and that's when they picked it this year too. So we kind of had the date scheduled around that when the hopes and crossing our fingers that we we're going to be able to get 586 on the day we did and it ended up working out. Um, but we ended up getting the wet hops from a farm. We haven't gotten the wet hop portion of it from before because in other years we've done it earlier on the pick date that another farm tends to use. Um, so in terms of making blends, it's always subject to kind of what I was just describing. Like there are things we can control and there are things that we can't. And so the the fun and also I guess the art in it is like, you know, looking at the options on hand and then deciding like given what we understand about those varieties, like how could those go together well? And like luckily there's a lot of nice hops and a lot of hops that play pretty well together. So um you know, you're not really at too much risk of finding like nothing that's going to mix well or that's going to create a pretty gross beer. Um, you need to be a little bit judicious about it. But a lot of the blends come together, honestly, by stumbling into um, something new each year. It's like we, like Zappa is a good example. It's not a hop we ever used before as a T90, just in a regular IPA. Um, we just hadn't tried it, hadn't gotten around to it. But we were working with CLS last year and they were growing. So they had some Zappa and um, they had a dry. They said it was nice. And they said, sure, like just bring us a bag of it and uh, we'll like, we'll check it out. And it smelled awesome. And we ran it through the pellet mill and it smelled even better. And then um, that ended up getting incorporated into the blend for energy cone, which is that one that we got the gold medal for last year. So this year we went back to Zappa and then we also used it in some regular IPAs last year. So like, I don't know, it gets us also experimenting on new hops. And, um, we also stumbled into early picked, uh, Columbus this year that we put into some blends and like we've used Columbus a lot in, uh, IPAs and West coast IPAs. So, you know, we understand how, how you, how much you can put in, without overwhelming a beer and like what it can bring to a hop blend. Um, but we're always just looking for things that, yeah, will play well together, but it's always kind of constrained by what we can find. And if we're looking for Simcoe, that's super easy to find. Like we could very deliberately create a beer. If we're looking for Simcoe, more likely we're looking for which farm we want Simcoe from. Um, and that's probably going to come down to the people we're collaborating with and like who they are most interested in working with or who do they want to meet when we make the beer and go to their farm and they want to talk to them or have they been selecting from that farm in the past? Um, that's likely who we will go seek those hops out from then. Yeah. And then the blend just kind of, it comes together. I don't know if you saw, I had a, like a big, like a table that I hand wrote on a clipboard yesterday. It's on, or on Wednesday. It was Wednesday. We had like, 10 bags of dried cones in our cooler, right? They all needed to be pelletized. And there wasn't actually a plan for all of them. We had four different tanks we needed to dry hop. So I pelletized all of these hops and then weighed it, figured out what I had, what we had from yield from each hop or in some cases, which hop and which farm it came from. And then I looked at, here are the four beers that need to be dry hopped today. And then here's the next two beers that we're going to make. Um, here's what we have, where are we going to put them? Um, and three of those are rodeo beers and I can 
we should talk about how that works. And those are those beers are the the collaborator is deciding how they want to dry hop it with. So you know, I had a menu. You know, some of these were requests. Like the the brewer in the rodeo said, like I would like Amarillo for this. So like, okay, we will find Amarillo, and that's why we had it. Um, and then basically just built out the blend there, given what we had, and um, you know, flavors. Also, like, you know, this grower is a person who is important to this brewer. So, like, we're going to save that for this beer in particular. Um, even if we had it, some other options that would work well. But, like, that's how that, that's the, these are the hops they wanted in that beer because of a relationship, you know, and it's good hops. Um, yeah. Talk to me about the, the freshness piece. Now, this is, I think, something like there's a through line through all of these. And, and again, they're, they're spanning styles. You know, some are, are, you know, more piquant, you know, West Coast approaches. Some are more soft and juicy, you know, hazy beers. But there is a, you know, even in some of those, you know, more spicy West Coast approaches, there's a general smoothness, you know, to the to the hop character, um, you know, that, that I don't always get out of, you know, those similar beers made with, you know, typical, you know, T90s in, in, in a, you know, traditional hmm. kind of way, um, you know. You what think you, it's like the, the nature of the fresh hop what flavor? What do you attribute that true? You know, and, and I mean, obviously some of these are kilned, but even your kilned hops that you're then pelletizing, uh, you know, are, are only a day old. You know, they, yeah. they've been They're dry. different. Yeah. They're different. Yeah, there there is something that is, uh, you know, palpably uh, sensorially, uh, you know, available and noticeable to, to the character that, the, you know, that comes through, um, you know, you as an experienced person who has been around hops mm-hmm. for now a long time, even in a professional capacity, you know, you, you have to sense that. What do you, what do you attribute that to? And uh, how, how would you explain some of that character? I think the wet, wet hops themselves, while we're trying to minimize too much of a vegetal character, they're, they're creating their own flavor. And that's really the base of the beer. I mean, that's why we, why we insist on a fresh hop beer has to have a lot of wet hops in it on the hot side. Um, maybe that's where some of that like smoothness is coming from. Um, we're also, we're very careful with bitterness on all these beers. Uh, we, we, we dial back our, what we would normally do for bittering additions um, because we do extract some of that from the, from the wet hops or from, sometimes gratuitous amounts of dry hops that were thrown in there. When you say dial back, like, what do you mean from a recipe standpoint? We like, have it roughly. Like, have it. Okay. Yeah. Wow. On, on the bittering additions. Um, that's generally been the rule. I mean, tasting through these this year, you're right. They're all, they are pretty, pretty mellow. They're pretty creamy. They're pre- yeah. pretty soft. Um, even this beer I'm drinking right now that has like fresh Columbus in it. And, uh, you know, it's, it doesn't come off as aggressive. It's pretty, quite smooth. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It, we try to have a very gentle process. It seems to yield like a pretty smooth, fresh hop beer. Um, these are also our first releases, you know, while we have six out now, like in the end, we're going to have, I think 16. So these are all early season fresh hops too. The, the, the beers that you've tried were all brewed either the very, like the first week of harvest in Oregon and like, um, and kind of the first week in Yakima, but not very many people are picking and then brewed that next week, which is really when Yakima gets going. Um, so the varieties available at that time, they're also early season varieties and they 
don't always have the same level of intensity as once we get into later pick citra or you know like mid harvest mosaic when like you know they've, they've really grow gotten a lot of intensity on them i mean that might be part of what you're tasting too is like the the, the character of Although the beers we even are had, informed yeah, by that time, earliness time banded in the tank uh you know yesterday as you were or uh you know even the the grains of wrath collaboration off the tank that you were warning you were warning that it was going to be uh, could have been a little bigger you know intense and uh you know and there's still just this kind of cohesive smoothness to all of it uh, i mean i don't know how the 301 fuggles is going to work out in the barley browns beer um, <laughs> you know we'll just have to <laughs> that see that was how, hard to get we'll have to see that was really hard we'll to get to see how that one works out uh but yeah um, well, let's talk a little bit about your pelletizing process because yes, you, you, uh, you know, you went out and bought a pelletizer. Um, uh, what does a pelletizer cost and like, why on earth, you know, uh, would you, as a small brewery that uh, has a whole bunch of other expenses there go that way? And, and then talk to me about some of the challenges of operating that own your own pelletizer. Sure. So like I because said, that is like the one piece of brewer equipment FOMO that like everyone who comes here for hop season who sees you operating your own pelletizer has to go back and think that's uh, that's awesome and i want one <clears throat> it's pretty fun we often have a pretty big group of brewers standing around watching it run when it's running or helping um we put you to work today too dumping I, cones in it i did i uh, did help me make some pellets today you look pretty happy <laughs> good grin um so pelletizer um not not actually super expensive um compared to other brewing equipment or like if you were thinking about buying a a tank that was dedicated for infusing green hops or infusing like a yeah infusions you know some right some stainless steel sanitizable tank that's got big screens in it and research ports and all that like that's more expensive for sure hmm. um i'm not gonna say but you can do people who are interested they can shop for it sure <laughs> it's not sure. it's not hard to find uh and then we uh, we've upgraded a little bit so the, the machine we have runs about 100 pounds an hour um, we don't typically run it, you know, an hour of pelletizing is, is kind of long for us, you know, hundred, we're a pretty small brewery. So pelletizing hundred pounds of hops, um, that's a really, really big dry hop. Um, so we wouldn't do that in a 15 or 30 barrel, eh, maybe 30 barrel tank, <laughs> but, um, so it's a, the way this mill works compared to a commercial one that would be at one of the big suppliers, those, those mills are much, much larger and they have a, they have a die that's a, it's a, it's a cylinder that's rotating, um, like a clock on a wall, you know, it's going around in a circle and hops are being fed into the center of it and it's extruding them. It's like shooting them out the sides. Um, ours is a, it's a flat disc and then the rolls are sitting on top of that. So what that means is we don't, we we learned this when we tested it out at Haas once um, on their experimental mill that you really don't need to grind them. Like we just tried throwing cones in to theirs and it worked fine. Um, so that's all we do here is we take cones. Um, we've done it with bale hops too, um, just maybe once or twice, but fluffy cones, you just dump them in there. They grind on the die itself. The rolls just smash them and then it extrudes pellets. Um, we, All under a blanket of nitrogen to, yeah. to keep it cold. So we we stock we stock liquid nitrogen at the brewery all the time um, as a nitrogen source for mostly our keg line these days. Um, and then, so we just bring that over to the pellet mill, and we've been 
kind of installed a new stainless steel hopper on it with a little stone that's made for filling doers. So if you were going to transfer liquid nitrogen from one container to another, um, this is the kind of thing you would use. I figure what it's called. Um, and then we just we just run a trickle of liquid nitrogen onto the dye while it's running to take away excess heat. And one of the things that's kind of interesting about pelletizing your own hops is you learn a little bit more about hops, like the texture and like character of them. Um, and I saw this a lot at Hop Union too, or Yakima Chief, but we're seeing it very up and close. So when we when we encountered a, a variety that has a little bit lower moisture content, and it's maybe a little over dried, um, or it has low alpha or lower oil content, it, for us it's kind of hard to pellet. Um, we have we have a little bit of difficulty keeping it cool enough and don't uh, keeping it from kind of toasting in the dye. A lot of friction is required and a lot of force to create a pellet. So the, the cones have to get warm in the process. Um, if they don't get warm, you won't form a pellet. You'll just be shooting powder through a hole. Um, so that's really what the nitrogen for nitrogen is for. And what we're really trying to do is keep the pellet temperature as low as possible. In our case, it's like typically like 90 degrees Fahrenheit to like 105. Like today with those 586s we were running, um, they were really, really resinous and they were flying through the mill and temps were very low, like probably even like 80 to 90, 80 to 90 degrees, hmm. uh, which is very low, like quite a bit lower than commercial pellets too. Um, so we're retaining like everything. We're really just making them small, <laughs> like without, sure. without changing them. And, and also by not milling them, not running with your hammer mill first and then, you know, conveying it with air. Because usually the way the process works is like a bale would go through a, hammer, a bale breaker, get smashed up, get conveyed by air through a hammer mill, um, through a, in a current of air, and then dropped into a blend tank, mix tank. And from there, get conveyed again um, up to a pellet press. Um, our process is pretty much instant. You drop a, drop some cones in and pellets come out like five seconds later. And the whole process is taking place under nitrogen with very little heat pickup. And we're not breaking, we're not even, I think in a lot of cases, we're not even breaking the lupulin glands, um, which is kind of an interesting aspect. Like sometimes our beers will have just like suspended lupulin, like in the beer itself. Like one year we, we clogged a draft line with lupulin. Like it just stopped pouring. <laughs> wow. Because this is when before pelleting when we we're just making powder. So we like we definitely weren't rupturing glands there. We were just grinding it in this giant yeah. garbage disposal like machine. Um so the lupulin was just it was just floating and uh it it did. It it clogged a line completely. It stopped flowing in like a flow control tap because there was so much yellow stuff packed in it. And that beer was delicious. Um we won fresh hop that year with it, but it also like it was it was a little more aggressively bitter just because of suspended like lupulin. It's kind of another interesting aspect of how this works. Like the you know the actual composition of the pellet is different than T ninety. Sure, sure. Now you know. So today we pelletized uh, you know five eighty six. You knew what you needed for the dry hop. We had you had an extra 10 pounds of that that then ended up going into the whirlpool yep. in addition, you know, just to, as you said earlier, just to add an extra layer of complexity and moreness, moreness. Yeah. What's moreness. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It just, the, these beers often just end up in a little bit of excess, right? Like by having, having hops, having hops on hand, not, not wanting to put them to waste, you know, more goes in the beer. So like today, we didn't really need another 10 pound addition into the whirlpool, but we had it and why not? And uh, that's more. 
Yeah, so it's less scientific. It's more just feel. These beers aren't very scientific. <laughs> no, um, it's a, it's it's all feel, really. Sure. I mean, it's it's based on experience, and um, but it's it's much more based on yeah, it's experience and relationships. So that's how like a fresh hop beer comes together, and then we've you know over time arrived at a process that seems to express hops really well. Right. Like you're saying like smooth, balanced, um, nicely integrated. Um, so we we can kind of now put lots of different things in there and be fairly confident we're going to end up with a beer that's good in the end. Right. You know. So so the 586 that we pelletized, the 40 pounds of that went into a Mylar bag, which you're then, you know, once fermentation is, is I, well, I shouldn't say, what does then dry hopping look like on a beer like that? Um, yep. does, do you have a standard dry hopping procedure for hazy and West Coast style IPAs? Do you... Yeah. Do some fermentation dry hopping on a hazy IPA or for biotransformation, or do you, uh, you know, do you use a multi-stage dry hopping? Talk to me about this, uh, this cold side process for your fresh hop beers. Yeah. So dry hopping fresh hop beers for us is basically the same way we dry hop all of our, um, all, all of our IPAs across the board. We're pretty standard on it. Um, most of it, most of the time our yeast is the same for all these things too, except when we do some of our collaborations and people have opinions and they would like to try something new, but we use a, a German ale yeast for all things and we dry hop at terminal. A German ale yeast. German ale for all things. Yep. Um, Again, in the Odell and Pint House yeah, uh, yeah. tradition. Yeah. Like I said, we're friends. Um, <laughs> we've been doing this a while and I was the lab manager there too. So I, I mean, I know that yeast extremely well, you know, um, and I like the beer it makes. And I think it makes really fantastic fresh hops. It might also be part of that, like, smoothness. Um, and this is a Kolsch yeast, right? Yeah, yeah, Kolsch German ale. Like, yeah. Depends on what company you're buying it from. Sure, but, sure. Um, but, yeah, dry hopping for us, it, it's pretty standard across the board for IPAs and for fresh hop IPAs, also for hazy IPAs. What does um, standard mean, though? Well, yeah, I'll tell you. <laughs> I'm just okay. telling you it's the same. Even our, But also, I'm saying even our hazy IPA um, is typically yeah. Kolsch yeast, and it's dry hop the same way, right? Um and we dry hop at terminal. It's usually somewhere two pounds to four pounds, averaging three, let's say. Yeah. Uh, and we just we just dump in the top of the tank. Our during fresh hop time, our pellets are less dense than commercial T90s, so they always float. Um, it's one of the always float. They're a little more coarse. You lose you lose a little bit more yield because the like the vegetal matter particle size is big. It doesn't pack as tightly in the bottom of a tank. Um, so when we, once the hops go into the tank, we purge that headspace a little bit, get it out in the oxygen, we introduce, cap it, and then usually leave it with about 10 pounds of pressure on there to help keep bubbles from nucleating on the mm. on the, the hops that are floating on top to give right. them a better chance of settling pretty quickly. Um, we have some, we have side glasses on top of some of our tanks as we were figuring out what works for us, especially with the powder situation before. We would just watch and you know, try to make sure we were get it successfully getting all that in there. But um, after after the hops go in, we'll rouse immediately. And then the following day, we'll rouse one more time. The following day, we'll rouse one more time. And then we'll chill that tank. So it's like two and a half days, like warm contact, anywhere from um, 55 degrees to 66 or so, depending on whether we were harvesting yeast out of that before or not. If we're harvesting yeast, we bring tanks down to 55, pull yeast out, and then dry up after that. And it doesn't usually have enough energy. The room's not hot enough for it to warm back up. So we just kind of leave it down, dry hop at like 55 degrees pretty commonly. And everything's just a single charge? Single charge, yeah. Once pressure goes on that tank, um, it never comes off. 
So the 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 tank after dry hopping on that next day, uh, it's it's usually picked up some pressure. Uh, we might spund it with a spunding valve. Um, depends on how full the tank is. Often, um, we don't see very much refermentation. We don't see any hop creep. Um, that I guess we don't see any hop creep that's like unintended. One of the nice things about German ale is it's extremely resilient and active in f in the tank even after terminal mm. gravity. It's still floating around. I mean, it fermentation finishes. The yeast just sits there in the tank. Um, so it might be 30, 40 million cells, 60 million cells. I don't know. Uh, it's not worth counting. There's a ton. It's really, really, really yeasty when we dry hop. Um, so any any re residual fermentation that might be kicked off by those hops in there, it happens like right away. Um, any like VDK that might have been produced, it's gone right away. There's so much active, ha happy, healthy yeast. Um, even after we've cooled it to harvest, there's, there's a lot of yeast in there. So it's an advantage in that sense. And then it's kind of hard to harvest. And then it's hard to get the yeast out in the end, um, which we do with findings. So dry hopping, pretty simple. Dump in the top, maintain pressure the whole time after that. Two and a half days on, start draining the tank, getting the troop out of there. Um, and we, we also we put some effort into draining off those, uh, draining the hops off the bottom of the tank after dry hop is over to, you know, uh, stop extracting more more vegetal flavors and stuff like that. We've gotten what we want in that two and a half days. Anything, anything more we get, usually we don't like. So try to get it out of the tank. Um, and then from that point on, uh, we fine everything. And the German ale responds well to finings. So mm. basically everything is fine. Um, we can't really make bright beer with German ale. Um, it always leaves something behind. Like we might get almost all the cells out, but there will still be like, it'll still be pretty glowy. Um, it's pretty, uh, we, we have not had success making like true West Coast IPA that's crystal brilliant clear right. um, with this yeast. But you're also taking great pains to put a whole bunch of hop, uh, you know, character into it. And for fresh hops, absolutely. Right. Yeah, they're, they, they can't be clear. There's Stripping, too much stuff in there. strip out all the things <laughs> you worked so hard to put into it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about hop varieties. You know, obviously this is something that you're close to. Um, you know, you are, you know, even in my conversations with you talking about it from a brewer's perspective, um, you are attuned to what hop growers are growing here, you know, where they are and some of the development processes on those, um, what the prospects are. And you've gotten to use a lot of these hops that uh, don't necessarily even make it out of the valley yeah. here you know let, let's talk you know from from your perspective as somebody who spent a lot of time around hops uh you know what some of the what are some of the most interesting hops uh, so like new know, hops experimental yeah, hops. new hops that are on your radar that uh that you find are pretty exciting uh coming at it as you enjoy brewing with them yeah so we and, have and why obviously sure. so i guess regarding like new hops and um experimental hops we in 20, we've, we've always dabbled in experimental hops. And like, honestly, that was one of the reasons, one of the reasons that in leaving Yakima Chief and then starting our own brewery, we, from the very beginning, invested in a, uh, a tank system we call the experimenter, like specifically to be able to do side-by-side -side hop the trials. The experimenter. Yeah, yeah. So it's a fermenter built of three five barrel tanks that are hard piped together so we can clean it, fill it as a single unit. Um, we, so we split, we frequently split 15 barrel batches into that and we start out with these perfectly identical 
tanks of beer. Um, the yeast is pitched simultaneously to during knockout so that, you know, they're all getting the same cells, they're getting the same troop, everything. Um, it's not something I was able to do at Yakima Chief. Um, even though like that really was my role, we just didn't have the infrastructure for it at the time. It's something that some of the hop companies are working on or have in place like Haas. But, you know, that was the first tanks we bought here um, before the brew house was even delivered. We had the experimenter here. Um, so it's always it, it was always in my mind as like one of the things we would do here is like work with experimental hops and, um, you know, and put that information out and share it. You know, we put it on tap in Yakima where they're all being produced. It's a chance for the people who are involved in the breeding process or involved in the sales process, production process to come and try them and see what they're about and if there's any relevancy to them. Um, so we did a little bit of that in the beginning and then it kind of fell off and we used those tanks in some other ways. But in the in 2021, we, we really focused on it again with the series called Outcross IPA and that's where we we work primarily with hop breeders so far we've done about nine of these and we've worked with eight different i want to say eight different hop breeding groups to bring in three different experimentals that the breeder likes and thinks are promising and then we'll run it through pretty similar base beers and once we produce three different beers the the main difference between them is just the dry hop they start out identical and we drive them differently and we tap them in the tap room, ask for consumer feedback. We package them in three packs so you can do your own tasting at home. Um, and, you know, those three packs, they make it back to hop readers. They make it back to salespeople. And, like, people talk about them and think about them. And um, it's, been, it's, it's been pretty interesting because I think in the end, at this point, we've run through, like, 27 different um, experimental or really new varieties in the last... 18 months or so so out of that what's actually interesting what's like hitting um the things we what, what are some of those yeah the, the things those, we've gone that's 20 some odd that you've done yeah the things we've gone back to um you know we've been talked about 586 a bunch today uh, because that's what we're making today that's one of the ones that we've gone back to a lot like we already we had used it before we put it into an outcross and did side-by-side -side trials with it and we liked it but it's one that popped out um, 1019, the first time we were able to use that, that was in an outcross. It was, we did an outcross, one, one tank got 1019, one tank got 586, and one tank got another hop that wasn't remarkable enough for me to remember the number, <laughs> you know? Yeah, sure. Yeah, so, uh, in 1019 was the standout there. We knew we liked 586, 1019 was awesome, um, and so it's something we've kept our eye on and tried to obtain more of, to play with more, um. Other things that have popped out, um, with a pretty nice hop from the ADHA program, the American Dwarf, or uh, American, what does ADHA stand for anymore? It used to be American Dwarf Hop Association. Now it's the American, something about hop agronomy. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I apologize. I can't remember the what the acronym means. The public breeding program. Not public. No, this is the breeding program that's owned by um, Roy Farms, Wyckoff, oh, okay. and Green Acres. Um and I just don't remember what ADHA stands for anymore. But anyway, 218 is one that they're, they've been scaling up that we've had some good success with. Um, we used a little bit of that in one of the, in the Von Ebert collab this year uh, for Fresh Hop. Um, and we also used it as a Fresh Hop last year. Um, another one is 17701 from Steiner. So our friend Nikolai Petra is kind of championing, championing that one. And that's one that we found in, the first outcross we did, we did three Steiner varieties. That 17701 
17704, which is a sister, I think. And then another variety that I think it was a little bit underwhelming and they weren't sure what they needed to do with it. It was underwhelming and I think it's cut from the program now. So like, I mean, that's an example of like, sure. here's a beer is produced by us in Yakima, the feedback being relevant and then put to use by the breeder to decide like scale it or like take it out of the ground in that case. So we've kind of been following 17701. Uh, we've gotten that wet this year as well for another collab. So it's in the tank for the for Rodeo 2. And we have some dried too that we've been pelleting of that one. So that's kind of fun. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Those are the main fun one, Nikolai. The main ones. Swung by the brewery tonight. It's a it's a Friday afternoon, and uh, yep. You know, it's just you just have random hop breeders pop by, and uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Nikolai in particular is like more of a he's just a friend and a peer, and sure, sure. We really enjoy talking, so it's fun. Well, let's talk about the rodeo. You mentioned it before, and uh, I get you should explain this to all of us. So the rodeo, I, I just kind of went through what we do for outcross where we use these tanks we call the experimenter and we put 15 batches of wort in the three tanks it's all identical and then we do hop trials so the rodeo is uh kind of like that except instead of working with hop breeders we work with three different breweries and we do it during fresh hop time so like i said at the beginning like our What's fun about this is involving other people in the process and especially people in fresh hop brewing who haven't had the opportunity to come to Yakima and rally out to a bunch of farms and like go round up hops. Like um, a lot of the farms here call themselves ranches, even though they don't really have animals, they grow hops, but they're hop ranches. So anyway, we called it a rodeo because it's kind of funny. So the way the rodeo works, we do three rounds and then we do a finals round. And each round consists of three different invited brewers. So it's a it's a three-way collaboration with us just kind of playing host and we're facilitating. Um, so the three brewers will come to town. We, as a group, decide on the base beer. So like round one this year was Wayfinder, Von Ebert, and Gigantic. So all Portland breweries. And we chose Portland breweries this time because we wanted to go to Oregon. We wanted to get hops from the Willamette Valley on the early side that weren't just Centennial because they would be in Simcoe and Strata at that time. So pick called up some friends or in some cases it's brewers that like we've had some connection with at this point. We'd like to learn more. We'd like to, you know, build a relationship. Um, and that's kind of how invitations happen. So each round, the three brewers and us, we kind of, dis we discuss what kind of recipes. So round one, we made a more Portland style, West coast IPA, um, a little bit of malt character. They all decided to bring their own yeasts. And the constraint here is we got to turn the beer around in two weeks. So it's not going to be Pilsners. It's not going to be long fermented cold IPAs. It's going to be pretty quick turn um, IPA. There's no real reason to age a fresh hop a long time. If you can get the get the yeast out, you make sure it doesn't have diacetyl, like turn it fast. Um, so anyway, round one happens. And we put all three of those beers on tap. Oh, wait. And then... <laughs> After we make that base beer, we split it into those three tanks. Um, from that moment forward, the game and the challenge is each brewery then decides how they want to ferment it, how they want to dry hop it, you know, how they want to finish it, and then we'll keg it off. So the same rules apply. We make fresh hops with current crop year hops only. So this is one of the hardest things to explain to people. Like you, round one we're not just going to go to the cooler and put mosaic in it. There's no mosaic. It doesn't, it's not picked yet. It hasn't been picked, yeah. So uh, 
round one is is hard. The the variety list is small, and you can't you can't have carried anything over from earlier in the harvest. You can't say like save me some citra for round three, because um, there's no opportunity to buy round one. So things are a little more limited. It's uh, Simcoe Citra or no Simcoe Centennial Cascade Strata stuff like that in the early picks. Um, and then they dry hop those out. So in this case, they brought their own yeasts. We fermented with uh, British Ale uh, and a couple different house like Chico Strains. Or no, with Chico Strain and then 3470. So we ended up with three pretty different beers. Um, 3470. You made a cold, fresh hop IPA. In 12 days, 13 days. Hey, and amazing. I think you liked it. I did like That was the Wayfinder <laughs> Club. It was great. Yeah, worked out pretty well. I mean, whether it was truly a cold IPA, it didn't have any adjunct, no rice or anything, but regardless. I'm not sure any of us would call it a cold IPA either. Yeah. But it was a fresh hop beer, uh, fresh hop IPA. Yeah. So round one happens. We put all three of those ta- beers on tap in the tap room for about two weeks, and we ask our customers to vote on their favorite, and then that that determines the winner of round one, right? And then the day we take those off tap we basically keg round two with another set of brewers so that happened last friday and we got grains of wrath and barley browns and our biter out of minneapolis for that and then a whole nother set of hops and you know there's so there's this intro round competition and then inter round competition so then third round will happen next friday we'll do another set of brewers we got fremont stone and fort george and so late one also a little tricky we start getting some pretty intense hops got to be a little more careful and judicious in your formulation so you don't make something that's undrinkable because there's a lot of like high alpha late pick mosaic kind of things out there and then once we figure out the three winners we'll put all three on tap around fresh hop week and we'll um we'll award the champion and we've got big old rodeo belt buckles custom made fresh Hop rodeo 2022 and uh it just ends up being like another way to involve a lot of people and have a pretty good time. Like sure, make, make sure. friends between other brewers who might not know each other. And uh, also like introduce more people to like the way we make fresh hops. And so, I don't know, we recognize and I recognize we're really, really privileged here and it's super fun. And it's very much, very fun to share it with other people and not keep it proprietary and um, let people enjoy the way we do it. You're so. making most of the proximity that you have with, uh, you know, all of these fantastic ingredients. You know, it's also uh, competition season, and GABF is coming up. I imagine you're in the you're throwing your uh, hat in the ring again in that fresh hop category, and uh, shooting for a repeat. Uh, you know, if you then hone it down into the beer, the fresh hop beer that you want to represent Single Hill, what does that beer look like? Um, well, it's going to be our best fresh hop. And at the moment, because they're not all done, I don't know which one that is, but we will know by Tuesday <laughs> because we have to put them in the mail. Sure, sure. Um, so, deadline- so you choose from all of the ones that you've then made and, and then have and uh, decide, hey, yeah. this is the one we think has the, the most opportunity. And uh- Yep. Yeah. I mean, we have a, since we do have a lot of options, we end up, I think we have two two entries in the category. So we'll go through and we'll, we'll think about what things are going to stand up the most to competition. And, um, the, the last couple that we've brewed, you know, we've, we've had this in mind, right? So like sure. the things we, that we've been drinking, um, are, are pretty nice, pretty soft, pretty mellow. And, um, I think we've made things a little bit more intense kind of with these things in anticipation. Um, but yeah, we, we, we pick, pick based on what we have, you know, cause we're making several. 
I guess you just make a whole bunch and then, uh, (laughs) it's a great strategy. Um, you know, is there, are there any other secrets to, uh, to fresh hot beers that we haven't tapped into yet? Zach, um, secret wise, really it's about managing that veggie character. I mean, managing pH is important for all the IPAs, right? But it's something that can really get out of hand with fresh hot beers because you can extract a lot of things from these really, really fresh wet cones or even the fresh dried ones. And so you do sometimes adjust pH uh, towards the end of the beer or end of the fermentation? Yeah, sometimes we'll tweak it a little bit um, just based on where the flavor balance is. If it needs a little bit, if it's a little flabby, like we can make adjustments if we want to. Sure, sure. We don't need to go too deep into that. Um, but that also is a, probably a great place to, to bring this to a close. G&D Chillers engineers are committed to green technology design NA is no problem with the Alchemator from ProBrew. Old Orchard's Craft Concentrate blends mimic straight concentrates, but at a better price point. Fermentus is now offering an expanded range of dry bacteria for the production of sour beers. Brewmation puts you in control to design a brewery that fits your needs and brewing style. And podcast listeners get 25% off hardware if you launch with Arrived before December 1st. Go to beerandbrewing.com, click on the subscribe button, let us know this content matters to you. Uh, Next Friday, the uh, 23rd of September, we're going to put tickets on sale for our all-access subscribers to our 2023 10th Anniversary Brewers Retreat. And it's going to be amazing. Go to brewersretreat.com, learn more about that. Uh, Yeah, that's something you definitely, definitely don't want to miss Zach. If people want to learn more about single Hill, learn more about, uh, you know, what the, the fresh hop beers that you make or want to try to get their hands on, uh, you know, you know, be able to taste some of these beautiful, exquisite, elegant, fresh hop beers that you brew. Where do, where do they find single Hill? Um, best places to come to Yakima. Um, that's the best place to try all the beers. I, I come, agree. Come, come down to the come, top. Come to Yakima. Experience it. Um, if you just want to look at the internet, we've got, we, we try to really document the fresh hop brew days and uh, show where we're going, who we're, who we're picking up hops from, what farms they are, who we're making beer with. So Instagram is a nice spot for that. And then our website is just singlehillbrewing.com. Um, I guess there's one other thing I wanted to add in terms of the secret of fresh hop is, uh, you know, I'm not the one who makes every single one of these. Um, it, it's a team here. Tristan Krosis is the lead brewer. And, you know, between the two of us, one of us has to get hops and one of us has to make beer. And we, we alternate on that um, quite often. I more often go out because I just know more people at this point. But um, it's it's definitely a team effort. And then beyond brewing it, the whole team puts in a like a kind of preposterous amount of time to pull off fresh hop here between the wholesale sales of it, getting it out as quickly as possible so it doesn't sit around and then uh, and allocating it so that the right people get it and no one's disappointed. And then the taproom team who kind of gets inundated at unpredictable times by a lot of brewers who want to hang out or, you know, me <laughs> being back with like <laughs> special guests on the patio sure, when we really sure. should be closed and things like that. So uh, we ask a lot of our team this time of year and they, they do a really, really good job being like great hosts. So well, it's one a tightly orchestrated thing here. Um, and also, you know, as orchestrated it is also beautifully seat of the pants at the same time. Oh, yeah. um, there's a lot of improv- improvisation that goes along with this. And uh, you've got a great team of people that uh, that go along with that and are able to, uh, you know, exude patience and uh, uh, and also 
you know, share, help, you know, spread the the joy of this experience with so many people. Anyway, Zach, thanks for sharing it with me. It's been an amazing day. It's been so much fun for us to get out and do this and see it first person, get to experience it, go out to the farms, be a part of that process. Thanks for involving us in this. Thanks for setting up the schedule so yeah, we thank you could for coming. do this. Yeah. It's yeah. been really fun too. And thanks for talking to me here on the podcast and sharing your process with all of our folks out there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at craftbeerbrew.